Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? All right, it's what the fuck, miss, and what the fuck, Nicka. And uh, it's that time of year. I'm Mark Marin. This is WTF. I do apologize for maybe the, hopefully, the slight humming of power tools in the background. It seems to be uh, chainsaw, the chainsaw season out here. Ever since that big uh, windstorm, I, I, there's nothing but a chorus of chainsaws cutting up trees that are on the ground. Now I got Ernie out and back. He's sanding the fence that I had to have replaced. And that has to be done because I'm leaving town. Any, look, Merry Christmas. Did, can I just say that? Did you hear that? And then I just stepped on a plastic container. Oh, my God. Everything is breaking. All right, I'm back. Let's do some plugging really quickly, if I could. I'd like to tell you, if you live in uh, Utah, the nation's only functioning theocracy, please come see me at Wise Guys, January 13th and 14th. You can go to uh, wiseguyscomedy.com, I believe, to get tickets there. The big WTF live show in Boston at the Wilbur Theater on January 27th has tickets available. I just added uh, Barry Crimmins to that show. So as of this uh, reporting or as of this uh, this episode, we've got Kenny Rogerson, Tony V, Mike Donovan, Jimmy Tingle and Barry Crimmins. These are all guys that when I started doing comedy, I opened for and I couldn't be more excited to uh, to be doing that. I'll also be doing a, uh, an evening of stand up there, too, on the same night early show is me doing stand-up the the late show is me doing a live wtf with some of that original boston crew and uh and frank santarelli forgot frank santarelli oh my god how many is that kenny rogerson tony v mike donovan jimmy tingle barry crimmins frank santarelli oh that's done that that's the show there might be a special guest but that is the show that's january 27th you can go to the wilburtheater.com and get involved with that man I don't know what to do with Christmas. I'm trying to, uh, and Hanukkah, I didn't light the candles. I don't know. Look, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I'm not buying a lot of people presents. I never buy a lot of people presents. I'm going to buy Jessica a few presents, probably probably a handful. I just think that's the way to go. That's what you got to do. And I find that if you're in a relationship, especially a new relationship, just buy a bunch of presents, you know, throw as much as you can, at, you know, just throw a bunch at the wall, throw a bunch of stuff at the wall, see what sticks. Don't don't limit yourself. All right. Don't get into that. You know, I'm going to buy one present for her or him. I'm going to get the present. I'm going to decide exactly. It's going to be the perfect present. Be careful with that business with the one present thing, because like if you hang it all, if you're hanging all your hopes and all your gift giving on one present, then there's the, the possibility they'll receive that present and they're they're not going to like it, but they'll pretend to like it, and you know they're pretending to like it, and you're going to pretend like they're not pretending they're liking it, and then you're going to question yourself because you thought it was the perfect gift and it was the exact right thing for them, and then you realize, holy shit, maybe you don't know them, and they're not going to be what you think they are, 
and they're never going to change into that. And that's sort of fucked up that moment of realization. It should be a humbling thing and you should accept that. But that moment and then then conversely, they're going to be thinking, well, how did he not know what to get me? Why would he think this was the right thing to get me? Does he not understand me at all? And that one gift misfire in an early relationship can just be the, you know, that's just the first domino, man. That is the first cancerous cell, the first emotional cancerous cell. You'll never be able to, to let that shit go. Yeah, and then I'll keep coming back at you. You know, why didn't you wear Why don't you ever wear what I got yet? Well, I'm waiting for the right occasion. So the lie continues and it just becomes pervasive. And then you, you there's a lot to learn from giving the wrong present. You can see what your, 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 your person acts like when they're lying and you know they're lying. You can make note of that. I, you know what? I don't know what I'm saying here. It is the giving season. So give a lot of presents to the person you love uh, just to avoid that. Because if you're only going to give one present, you know, save yourself some money and just break up with them. Just break up with them or buy more presents. That's the way our economy works. Cover your bases. Get as much stuff as possible to guarantee the love that you need. That's what our economy is built on. That being said, uh, let's get away from that and, and enter some other part of the, the Christmas spirit or the human spirit. Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, I want to drink alcohol. I have not had this feeling in many years. I just want to report it. I want to put it out there. I'm not going to. This happens when you don't drink and you used to drink a lot. But man, I forgot what that hunger feels like. I forgot what that craving feels like. I don't know what's going on with me, man. But, you know, I got Ernie out there working on the uh, on the fence and you know, he likes Newcastle. So I buy him a six in Newcastle. So I'm opening up, you know, boxes of Newcastle, putting them in the fridge. I'm popping them open to bring them out to Ernie at the end of the day. And there's that, you know, I'm holding that beer. I feel the weight of it. I know the bottle is open. I'm watching TV. I'm seeing these kettle one commercials and it's the holidays and they're fucking delivering that message to me. And somehow or another, it just activated that craving. The phenomenon of craving, the deep soul hunger that is the, the sign and signifier of an alcoholic disposition, that I need that, not I want that, I need that. And it comes from somewhere in your chest, somewhere just above your soul. It comes from, from your heart. There's some part of you that thinks the only way I can ease the discomfort in my heart is if I pour freezing cold vodka over it directly over my heart so that chill and that anesthetizing feeling will just ease the stress of being me in this moment wow i gotta go to a meeting i gotta quit talking about this shit um pouring cold vodka over my heart and just letting the 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 runoff just fertilize the the once darkened soul that fed on that Oh, the poetry, the poetry, people. These are the Christmas poems. I'm not. Don't worry about it. Comes and goes. It's seasonal. And I also think it has something to do with reflecting during Christmas. You know, I I, I got Michael Ian Black on the show today. And, you know, we did this conversation a little bit ago. And, and, and look, you know, it's no surprise to you people. I've been an asshole, but there are some people that I have a difficult, strained relationship with. Uh, from the past, the past, man. Yeah, Christmas past. The ghost of you know who. Yeah, this is a. It's it's almost Dickensian. This is Scrooge. You know, I I don't know that I was Scrooge, but I certainly was a different man when I was younger. And there are some relationships I have that are that were incredibly strained and uncomfortable. And Michael uh, Ian Black was one of them. 
And I have no malice towards him. I, I, I genuinely have affection for him. And I do believe on some level that the two of us enjoy the tension that is generated by, uh, by who we are together. And uh, I, don't, I don't believe he's a, a, a dick or a bad person. I used to. But nonetheless, you'll, you'll find during this conversation that there, there is this tension and he still is holding me to who I used to be. There is no way sometimes to get out of the box that others have built for you. If you aren't in constant contact with somebody or you don't have that experience where they see your evolution or they, they experience your change through action and emotion that you are what you were to them because nothing has changed in their mind and there's no indication that you're different. Even if there is an indication, they think it's a fluke. So you can't get out of the casket they've built in your brain for you. And you have to live with that sometimes. There was another incident this week where uh, another comic, a young comic, has decided that I, you know, I, I don't, uh, I don't give him the respect he deserves, and and I like the guy. I've always liked the guy, and there's a tension there, and it's it's something deeper than just whatever goes on between us. You know, we everyone has, you know, relationships like this in their life. But I know I've changed. I I know I've changed, and I know how I feel. But sometimes you're not going to get the satisfaction of acknowledgement from that other person that you experience this with. Sometimes you're always going to be your faults of a different time to that person. This goes for, you know, ex-wives, ex-girlfriends, you know, old friends, children sometimes. Sometimes you're not going to get that acknowledgement. You're not going to get a gold star. You're not going to be pat on the head. No one's going to come up to you and say, look, at you're a big boy now. Look at you. You're not being a baby anymore. Everyone around you, everyone in your life is not your parent or the parent you wished you had had. At some point, you're just going to have to to feel it, to feel that mild burn of, look, I know I changed and I just got to accept that. You know, I know I'm a different person. I know things didn't end up the way I wanted. You're just going to feel that slight ache, that slight ache in your heart, that warmth. Look at that as warmth. Turn it into wisdom. Don't pour frozen vodka on it. Don't do that. Just continue to be different. Continue to honor who you are as a changed person who has learned from their experience. I am. Merry Christmas. We should talk to Michael Ian Black. Do not pour freezing cold vodka over your heart and let it trickle down into the soul and fertilize the darkness. Merry Christmas. What the fuck? Uh, it was a bit of a panicky morning for me. Maybe I'll turn my phone off. Health insurance. You know, when you don't know you're insured and then you call up and you're like, am I insured? Does this cover this? Shouldn't it be clearer? Do you ever have trouble with that? Like where you're like, are we covered for things? Are you? How meticulous are you in knowing what the fuck is going on in your life? Uh, like, do you know what your house is covered for? I don't know what my house is covered I mean, for. Health in- uh, insurance? Yeah, insurance on the house, insurance on your health. Vaguely, like, vaguely, vaguely. Right, vaguely, right? But I have kids now, so you sort of need to know. Uh, oh, how to make sure they're okay. Yeah. How many kids you got? Two, two right? Two. Well, so, yeah, so I, I had a little panic this morning about that. I'm very aggravated lately, but you seem fairly calm. Uh, I'm nervous a little bit about doing this. Did you record your intro for me already?
Not yet. Why? Okay. Do you want me to? No, I mean, I I didn't know, but I was I was trying to surmise in my head as I was eating huevos rancheros coming over here what you would be saying in your intro. Well, no, I usually uh, what I'll do is I'll get this in the uh, I'll I'll do this interview with you, right? And then later I will uh, put an intro on. Like I didn't sit here and go, ah, Michael Ian Black's coming over. Fuck, it's that fucking be- guy. Yeah, right. I'm not feeling that right now. Do, do you want some tension? No, no. I wanted to come into this with as uh, few expectations as possible and with uh, no defensiveness on my part. Really? Yes. That was my intention. Is that is that what I was feeling when you got to the door? Because you kind of you came right in and you're like, all right, this is where I'm at. That was you being open. Trying to be. Okay. Trying to be. <laughs> what are you doing in town? Shooting a commercial. Really? Yeah. For what? Expedia. Expedia.com? That's the one. Are you going to be the new guy? No, they're, I think if every uh, cycle or year they use a, a couple different people uh, that are vaguely recognizable, and you go, oh, kind of, I kind of know who that is. And then... Uh, How many are you doing? Just one. It's fantastic. Yeah, well, you know, I looked at your schedule, and I know we, we dropped our CDs on the same day. Yes. Now, incidentally, mine, which I checked today, has already complete, fallen completely off the planet. Are you serious? Yeah. No, it hasn't. Yeah, it, I swear. Well, you had the clever cover, the Dr. Dre cover, right? Yeah. There was a play on the Dre. It was a play on the Dre. <laughs> I felt pretty good about it. That might be the best thing about the album, is the cover. Yeah, I tried to, I, you know, personally, I stay away from the goofy covers, but that was satirical. I liked it. <laughs> I'm not raising my hackles? No, no, no. I mean- It's not goofy. No, I mean, it's, it was clever. It was well done. It was satirical. I said that, which yeah. I like. I appreciate. <laughs> I just, when I look at records from the old days, mm-hmm. I always want, which ones hold up? Wait, you know, is someone going to look at that the CD ten years from now and go, "Yeah, ah, it's a Dre thing." But that's already t- what? How old is that record? Uh, like fifteen. What is that? Years? The Chronic. What's yeah, it? yeah, ninety. No, I thought it was very clever. Something. I'm not. I'm seriously not taking a shot at you. Uh, uh, what's call it? What's Steve Martin's one where he's where he's got the bunny ears and he's a black and white shot and he's going nuts? And but that's a stage shot. I mean, he's on stage. So the distinction you're making is if it's not on stage, it can't be goofy. If it's on stage, it can be goofy. Well, I think there's a fine line because if you go right now to iTunes and look at some covers of comedy CDs. Yes, yeah, I agree with you. Everybody thinks that's a good idea. When, I, when they make that cover, there's several options. <laughs> that they, I agree with you. <laughs> and I'll show you John Panette's cover right now. I was a, not going to name names, but that's the one I was thinking of. But but that is a a history, and I've made decisions like that in my life where I look at myself on TV. I was confident in that decision. I said, oh. this is what I'm going to do. You you know, we're crazy. We're insecure. You make a decision. <laughs> you're like, you get behind it. The Dr. Dre cover, I thought, was a good decision. I still think it's a good decision. No, I, li- I think I like it. I do like it. All right. I, I'm not, I'm, again, I really, I'm not knocking it. But it, it is, uh, I don't know that, why do you think... Do you think your fans don't expect stand-up from you? I mean, do you think Oh, that... yeah. They wouldn't. Why would they? Well, I mean, I know you've been doing it a long time. I mean, I looked at your schedule, and you were, like, touring like fucking James Brown. I mean, you are you are a fucking road dog. But that just started. That just started in the last 18 months, two years. Well, okay, so let's, let's talk about where you are right now. Is this where you thought you were going to be? I mean, was this the plan? Did you think you would be oh, out there I doing wish stand-up? There had, I wish there had been a plan. I mean, my, I had no plan. You don't, you don't, you didn't have a plan, did you? Well, no, I just wanted to be a stand-up. But it seemed to me that your career—I mean, you've done a lot of stuff, yeah—and you've done a lot of TV. And I have to assume that on on the Ed Show, uh-huh. is that what it was called? Ed, yeah. You were on every one of those. No, but I was on most of them. 
that was a good payday. I mean, yeah. that it should have like uh, on some level, I imagine in your mind, you're like, I'm going to be a TV actor. Mm, but I, uh, but before that, I had been a TV actor. It was right. no, I'd been, I'd been doing TV for but that was eight, big time. ten years. It that, was not for me. It wasn't. I mean, really? I was, you know, I was number seven on the call sheet, which you know, for your listeners, yeah. Uh, means you know I'm uh, there's a call sheet every day and, and number one is Ed and number two is the, his girlfriend and number three is their best friend and number four and you know you go all the way down kind of in in terms of importance and characters I'm number right. seven right and once you get past like number three four five right then you don't really matter and I didn't get paid a lot right I mean I got paid fine I mean but you know I was getting I was getting a lot of money compared to you know what most people make but it wasn't like life changing money or anything like that well I've talked to most of your guys yeah I I think I I've only got a few more state guys left yeah. Do you know who I have to, to interview still? I would imagine Todd Hollebeck, the most, uh, uh, probably the most obscure because he's not really in show business anymore. I contacted Hollebeck. Did you some, really? I did contact him because <clears throat> I wanted him to do a bit. Did you hear that bit I did with the David Wayne episode with the guy who said he was in the state? Yes. Well, I wanted Todd to do that. Uh-huh. <laughs> but he was like, what is this about? Like he got very defensive on uh-huh. the email. That's how I read it. So I'm like, maybe I, I ought not bother that guy. Uh-huh. Oh, he's uh, lovely. I'm sure. I'm sure he'd come on. Really? Yeah. But I've got uh, what's her name, Carrie? Still? Oh, you haven't done Carrie yet? No, I've not done Carrie, and I haven't done uh, Marino. Uh huh. I think that's it. You've, oh, really? Who else is there? There's like how many? I don't know. I don't remember who is <laughs> in the group anymore. <laughs> come on. I talked to all you was guys. Was there a black guy? Was no, there, a, there was no black guy. Yeah, but I'm not going to bring huh. that up. What was that about? I mean, I, I mean, it was a very conscious decision on my part because everybody else was arguing vociferously. We should get a black guy. We should get a black. I'm like, no. You had a gay guy, and we, you we had, had a girl. gay guy. We had, had a girl. You were and covered. We, as far as I'm concerned, we were hitting every quota I was comfortable hitting. And you did your Dr. Dre cover, so you're you're good. <laughs> Everything is leveled yeah. off for you. You've you've got all bases covered. Yeah. So when you started out, were you in the state? Were you one of the leaders? Um, because I talked to all you guys about this and I'm yet to find one of you to say shitty things about the other in any real way. I don't know why any of us would, we all remain very good friends. It was, it was, it was, it suffered from a lack of leadership, the group. Uh And and that was also one of its strengths. There was a power vacuum? No, it wasn't a power (laughs) vacuum. It was that as a college club, which was how it started, it was designed to be a kind of you know, everybody gets a voice, hippy dippy, everybody feels good kind of organization. And in a way that was a great asset for us because everybody felt like they had a voice. And in a way it was a real pain in the ass because everybody felt like they had a voice. Right. And so at different times, some of our voices were stronger and at different other times uh, we, we hung back. But are you you amazed at the continuing popularity of the fan base that you established through uh, uh, the, the movie? The Wet Hot American yeah, Summer and uh, and through the state. I mean, because it to me it's amazing because you you brainwash these children yes at twelve or thirteen or and they remain relatively loyal to you as grownups. I am amazed. It's um, a great thing. I'm not begrudging them, but do you get emails about the state still? Oh sure. Is that you? Yeah, that's me. That was hilarious. Did your phone just call mine? I don't see how that's possible. No, I don't think so either. Oh, it's Jay. Uh, I got a Twitter. From that, that I think you and I are both mentioned on. Oh, really? And I think that's probably why yours went. Oh, maybe. I, I usually it's. Just I just a, got this phone, so I don't really know how it you, how it works. What kind of phone is it? Oh, from Jake Fogelnest, who you probably follow. Yeah. And it says, "I love you both. I'm here for you guys. If this needs to go to mediation, we'll why did people expect that? I thought the last time we were. Well, I just tweeted that said. No, I know passive aggression. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I I thought that the last time we did this. 
that we covered most of the the negative things and we decided that it, it was all cool and then after i uh after that i hung out with you in aspen with your wife martha right yeah and uh i've always liked her she's always been very pleasant she's if a- not wary of me she I, is, but she she is pleasant but wary. But that's a good descriptor of her in general, not just with you, right? But I thought she was being protective of you, and I thought, well, that's cute. I mean, and then <laughs> you know, and then in my mind, it's like it must be really difficult to be with him because you probably have to take that posture a lot. But then it turned out I was really wrong, and you guys were both very pleasant. I think I hope we were. I try to be. <laughs> I you, think I think I think like you, I have matured. Yeah. And I'm trying to be more pleasant in my dealings with people. Well, I think that you know, it's not that I took a survey or anything, or I'm not going to bring other people into this. You already brought but, John Panetta in, just gratuitously. I don't know why you would look. Do that, he, you John Panetta did a lovely cover of him eating something. I mean, what, <laughs> what else is he going to do? I mean, I haven't seen him in a long time. And one of I have you ever had dinner with John Panetta? I don't know the guy. I have had dinner with John Panetta. I sat down with John Panetta at Nick's Comedy Stop in Boston, probably 1989, and I sat there and watched him eat. And talk to him. So for me to see him on a cover with a plate of food is no big surprise. Right, deja vu for you. Yeah, it was like, wait, that's the John I know. Uh-huh. Or that's the John I had dinner with. And I think he's skinnier now. Uh, but I, in terms of my mistake with you, was that I thought that I took you at face value for the character that you played on stage. And I assumed that, that you were that guy. Smug asshole. Right. Right. Because there was no way for me to know different. Other than just say, hi, how are you? It would be nice to talk to you the way you talked to John Panette. Let's have dinner. You think Let's I should engage. have done that? No, you shouldn't. You, necess- you shouldn't necessarily have. But, but to make that assumption that the, that the guy you see on stage but, is the guy you see right, off let's, stage. Let's be honest, though. Let's, let's just cut to the bullshit right now. <laughs> All right, I, you know this is all well and good. I'm willing to take some hits. I didn't. Well, I, I haven't even. I haven't even uh, unleashed my no. quiver of arrows. No, I know, I, but we're not doing that, right? This right, is the new you. Right. You were a smug asshole at one time. It wasn't just a stage thing. Maybe it was a protect, a protective social element. Wait, I'm not even being passive aggressive. No, you're I'm just being aggressive. No, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just asking. When we were younger, and God. I was I was a defensive, hostile, sweaty Jew. Yes, and you were coming to Luna doing your thing. Yes, that there was a time that perhaps I was not the only one is that would, there, would have said. Is that. there a possible alternate explanation in your mind for what you were perceiving as smug assholeness? Yes. Um, uh, frightened. Yes. Uh, shy, very good. Uh, uh, in over his head, yes, possibly. Um, and uh, a little bit of smugness. The smug thing has uh, uh, followed me around. Oh, so see, like, see, I'm not. No, the, you're not the only one. Right, I'm not the I'm kind smug. of because I'm not the kind of guy. I'm not going to bring other people in the conversation. I'm not going to say people don't <laughs> like you. But when I've had this conversation. Fuck! I'm not going to say the other people don't like you, but. No, no, not but. Not but. Because when I say, when people ask me, do you really have a problem with him? And I say, well, I always thought he was sort of a smug asshole. And and then I realized it was his character. And they're like, oh, my God. that I I thought that, too. But he is a nice guy. So there's no no ganging up here. Go ahead. What? (laughs) What? Do you? I mean, what do you? What do you? What? Yeah. I think in your head right now. You can't cover your face. I think in your head right now, you're being gracious on a certain level. Is that what's going on in your head? Like you're being kind? No. What you're what cuz what I'm hearing is whenever I talk to people about you, uh I say he's a smug asshole or I thought he was a smug asshole right. and then other people say, "Yes, I thought so too." 
But so what I'm hearing but, is but, the whole world thinks I'm a smug asshole. The no. people, like the people in my community, not necessarily like people out there seeing me on stage. I see. Like I, I hate to be that guy. No, everybody says that they are surprised. What I'm saying is that your character was so convincing, and because of the fact that you were slightly detached, maybe shy off stage. People did not have a personal uh, engagement with you other than yes. your closest friends. And and that's really, I'm not attacking you at all. The, I have always been a very self-conscious, uh, pretty shy. I wouldn't say very shy. Yeah. And I think uh, uh, compensated for that on stage by playing this kind of overconfident, acerbic dickhead. Yeah, you're very good at it. Thank you. Is it called snarky? Or would you say you're snarky? The first time I heard that word was after I started doing those VH1 things. Okay. Well, wasn't that the idea? Wasn't everyone snarky on those? Was didn't that no? Didn't those VH1 things define snarky to some degree for I some don't know. people? I mean, I didn't. I, I honestly, I'd never heard the word before, so I didn't. I, I certainly wasn't trying to be snarky. I was just trying to be funny. Um, well, I mean, I think that tone, that character, is a is a popular uh, comedic archetype. I think the slightly, you know, pompous kind of smart. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's it works works on television. It works on uh, stage. Uh, yes. What? Yes. Wait, why do you always assume that I'm being passive aggressive? I'm being because uh, because because I, I'm I'm just, I'm just bringing twenty years of baggage that I have with you to what this you, interview, and I'm trying not to, and I'm trying want, to take you at face value. Well, do you want to flesh? You want to you you want to address some stuff? It's 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 your interview. It's your interview. No, but I'm I'm interactive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I adapt. I mean, because I, because this is what I hear. I really would because like... when I listen to your podcast, which as you know I do, and I hear you say something like uh, to whomever, you know, that's a character that works well on stage or on TV. Da da da. The subtext of that is it's bullshit. I don't do that. I'm honest. I'm whatever. I lay it all. That out is there. your baggage. I that, don't know that, that it is. That is absolutely. I don't know your, that it is. No, that is absolutely your baggage. I, if anything, if you listen to this show, you know uh, that my respect and acceptance and my own fucking humbling in this world has brought me back to a place from when I was younger, and I appreciate uh, all elements of comedy. I respect the fact that you put out a record. I looked at your schedule today, and I'm like, holy fuck, he's really doing it. I didn't say like that guy. I didn't say that. <laughs> now I may have. <laughs> I may have said that at another time, but that that is not who what I would am right what now. would that have been? That guy. What 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 would that have meant? Like what what's the subtext in that? In that guy. Like oh, he's going out on the road doing shows. That guy. Well, no, but there was a time where I had a very uh, narrow perception of what I thought stand up was, and that's what you're responding to. Yes. But I don't think there's any indication of that now. I think I'm fairly gracious with people, and I don't really attack people. No. And uh, and and you know it took a long time for me. I think we trace most of our problems back to the fact that I refuse to accept that you guys could be standups, and and that was really the core of it. Is that I saw you guys as successful television guys that came in from your sketch group, and then you came into our world, and then you you got on stage and you were doing our thing without doing it the way that I did it. So I said, "Who the fuck are these improv guys? Right. You know, with their toys?" And and but but that's gone. I don't have that anymore. I don't have it anymore. And you are really actually the only one out of all of you that I think was capable of doing stand-up and that your character was solid enough for you to to you know hold it on stage. And you're really the only one that does, I think, actual stand-up when you go out. Uh, I'm the only one... Well, uh, I'm the only one who really started pursuing stand-up 
in the way that I think most people think of when they think of stand-up. And that's only fairly recently. And I'm, that's not to take anything away from Michael, but I, I'm a show Walter, because but I think there's part of Michael that he'd like to do like half a lecture, then he'd like to draw some pictures and hold them up oh, and yeah. then tell I, a couple stories. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's doing a different thing. He's yeah. doing a, a more sort of... I, performance is the wrong word, but theatrical in a way. Right. Thing. And, uh, and, and incidentally, he's great at it. He's very, very funny. Um, and David, of course, is Orson Welles. And David has, <laughs> David Lane has become Orson Welles, yes. <laughs> um, but I only started doing stand up, as I said, in the past few years, like stand up, stand up. Right. And, I, and, and for me, it was a very conscious choice. And, and the choice was, or the, the thought process was, this is something you've always admired and kind of wanted to do, but never really had the balls to do uh, full bore. Right. Give it a try. Now, where did you come from? And where were you born? Geographically? Yeah. Like, what's your what's your family thing? Because Michael Ian Black can't be your real name. No. I, I think we talked about this before. What is it? Schwartz. So you're Jewish? Yeah. Really? 100%? Yeah. You're a little Jewish kid? Yeah. Eh. I'm surprised you didn't know that. Well, I kind of knew it. Yeah. Like, you're a little Jewish kid. You have brothers and sisters? One of each. Really? Older, younger, older brother, younger You're sister. You're middle? Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. I'm not psychoanalyzing, but so you went to summer camp and stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, nice, what, middle class background? Mm, yeah. Yeah, what 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 part of the world? Uh, Jersey. Really? How come I didn't know all this stuff? You what, never asked. Really, I didn't ask the last time. We couldn't get to, past our problems for me. So no. what, what part of Jersey? Northern Jersey? Uh, Central-ish. It's called Hillsborough. It's a little town. It was a little town. Is it's that anywhere, a lot now. Is that anywhere near Wayne? Wayne, you know, New Jersey? Yeah. I don't know. Pompton Lakes, New Jersey. I Nothing don't know. Butler, New Jersey. Not mm, ringing a bell. That's where my roots are. Uh, uh, it, what's weird is that uh, Paramus Park. Growing anything? up in New Jersey, where I grew up, I was geographically unaware of almost every other town in New Jersey. I don't know where anything is. I didn't know the names of roads in my town. I think I was so hell bent on getting out that I was I was not at present. all ages. Like you know, with by, by the time you were aware, you're oh, like, yeah. I have to leave New Jersey. Yeah, it's muggy. It's hot. There are bugs, but. Hey, the, Tomatoes are good in the summer. Uh, I'm not even aware of that. Oh, really? I'm aware that there's corn. <laughs> That's the only sort of agriculture that, that happens that I'm in July. Of. I don't know. Yeah, come on. I don't know. Are your family still there? No, my it's just my mom. Uh, she moved to Florida, which is even worse than New Jersey. So did my mom. You you have not grown to appreciate Florida. Oh, I hate Florida. What part passion. of Florida? South Florida. My mom lives in Hollywood, Florida. Okay. Uh, okay. So, but I've grown to appreciate her, uh, Florida as being this amazing freak show a densely populated fucking freak show when i go there i'm like this is insane i appreciate it on that level but florida to me seems like a state full of people who have given up who have gone is south that, is that another word for relax maybe maybe it is <laughs> maybe i'm just not able to process what it means to to have a life of leisure and comfort and good weather. Maybe I'm not able to process that, and so I resent it when I see other people doing it. But You're when 78 I see eight years old, why aren't you still in it? No, I don't mean the seniors. The right. seniors, the seniors can do what they will do. But the uh, the like guys who are like 48, and and you see them at like three o'clock in the afternoon eating wings, yeah. and listening to Buffett, and you're yeah. like, what are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing, buddy? That, they're enjoying their life, having some wings, listening to Buffett. Maybe they've got everything in perspective. They probably do. Maybe they're like sort of like I did what I could. <laughs> I'm sure, but for me, I look at it and it, and for some reason it, it it upsets me. Yeah, and you live in Connecticut. I do. Well, that's pretty lofty. Uh, 
Look at you. <laughs> you had this like you I wish you you people could see like the look in his eye, this mischievous fucking glint of I'm taking a shot here. I'm taking my first like conscious uh, shot. I want you to make I want it to be clear when they come. Fuck. No, stop it. You're not really that upset. Wait, what <laughs> what part of Connecticut? Uh, you don't want to say the that. rich part. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah little boutique stores run, oh nothing but run by housewives with rich husbands uh yeah, yeah. It, it's sally's it's, cupcakes it's just it's just doggy grooming stations everywhere you look really on your property no yeah, i wouldn't a, allow it anywhere, anywhere near my property i have, have a dog, dog and a cat yeah well, that's sweet all right so all right so the state that kicked ass and then you you hated the state no, I just, I didn't, uh, I, you have to understand something about me. There, there's a misperception about me as well, is that I was unable to appreciate anything within the parameters of my life that represented right. other do people that. doing do well. That. Like when I go back and watch things, you know, you guys worked hard, you created something, you built MTV, <laughs> you, a, a, a lot of you are funny. God. What? I don't. I I can't. The problem is I didn't watch enough of them. Like I honestly, I'd be I, surprised if you watched any of them. No, honestly. of course I watched. You couldn't not watch it at some point. I you guess. know, the, and MTV was invented, and then it was all you guys for a long time. And but there's a couple of the guys that I could not like. I know Carrie's very funny, mm -hmm. but like in my mind, I'm having a hard time placing Marino. Like I wasn't, you know, like I'm having a hard time placing him in the context of the state or just yeah, in, in the life. state. Yeah, you know him now. Yeah, kind of. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, I feel close to you because we were around each other. Yes, Marino was the guy. For those uh, of you who may or may not know, who know the state, well, he he had a character called Louis who said, "I want to dip my balls in it over and over again." <laughs> <laughs> no, whose whose idea was that? Uh, that was a reaction to a note from MTV who said, they, we want you to do recurring characters. And we said, we don't want to do recurring characters. Right. And they said, we really want you to do recurring characters. Right. So as a fuck you to them, we created like the dumbest recurring character in the world, which was this guy who his only line is, I want to dip my balls in it. And he says it over and over and over again. And he's just celebrated on the sketch yeah. for having this catchphrase. And they right. talk about the fact that he has this catchphrase and people just fall in love with this guy and, and encourage him to say, I want to dip my balls in it. Did that actually translate into reality for Marino? In terms of having Did people his... come up to him and say, "Oh, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure they. I'm sure to this day they do it." And okay, but then you guys. The thing that amazed me about you all is that you all seem to, to work together and stay together. Because then Viva Variety came, mm -hmm. which was an interesting show. Mm -hmm. Whose conception was that? Was that Tom's or yours? Uh, it was mostly Tom Lennon who wrote a sketch called the Mister and Former Mrs. LePan Variety Program. Right. Uh, a M M E, yeah. which was a European show, right? Uh, that we did on the state, right? And when we were doing it, we were sort of joking that it would make a very funny television show, and so it was his initial baby, and then um, myself and Ben Garant uh, kind of fleshed it out, and then Kerry Kenny came on and and made it into Viva Variety on Comedy Central. Now, was your experience with Comedy Central in that, like, when you had something as high concept as that, that how long did that run? It didn't run long enough, right? We had, like, 40-something episodes. Oh, you did that many? Yeah, it was, like, 42 oh, so that, episodes. That's it was a, a lot. That's a good but run. But Comedy Central was a much smaller network then, and they, right. and they were more willing to kind of take chances, and they were just trying to get some attention and get eyeballs on their network. So it was it was, it was, it was a better time to work there. Well, they're still doing that. They're do they, and they got it with Tosh. I mean, it, you know. Yeah, but. Those are the eyeballs they want, and there's millions of them. Yes. I'll, I'll grant you do that. You, do you feel like uh, your age is a liability now? Do you feel like. On, on Comedy Central? Just in general. Uh, 
I mean, because you guys actually were the first kind of like uh, MTV comedy superstars, and that was, they're still going after that age group. Oh, sure. So like, you know, Tosh, though a lot of people seem to like him, that age group is still kids on some level. Do you feel now uh, there's part of you, uh, have you grown up successfully in that you realize like, maybe I'm not going to get those kids? Oh, yeah. I worry about that. I don't worry about that. I'm very conscious of it. Yeah. And I have moved... And I'm in the process of moving my career to deal with that and and to deal with the fact that I am no longer going to necessarily be appealing to 14-year-old girls. Yeah. Um, They will always be appealing to me. Yeah. But I may not be appealing to them. Yeah. And so a lot of the things that I'm doing now are reflective of that. Grown up? Yeah. I think so. I hope so. I don't have an opportunity to ask this much because I realize that you know, as a comedian or as a comedic performer, when you build your audience that are kids, uh, that eventually what happens is they grow up and not unlike you, they have families and stuff. So their time to sort of engage with what you're doing is is minimized. Now, as somebody that came from this state, do, how much um, kind of not necessarily fan mail, but how much do you feel like you've held on to some of those 14 year old girls all the way through? Um, do you get, more do, than I would have thought. You get emails that say, like, you know, I watched you when yeah. I was fourteen. Well, I have more, a family more now. that, more that. If I'm at a doing a comedy show, a stand up show, yeah. people will come up after the show and say, I've been watching you since I was in seventh grade and wasn't allowed to watch your show, but I snuck downstairs and that kind of thing. And that's great. You know, it makes you feel good. Yeah. And do, are they surprised? And they're old. Yeah. <laughs> do you, how old do you? I just turned forty this week. It's wild, right? It was tough do you see people that you grew up with that you haven't seen in 10 years and you're like oh my god am i that oh old? yeah it's oh wild. constantly uh, i and you and, look good though thanks so yeah thanks very much I'll yeah thank you. you i think you look better now than you've looked in years someone else said that i wonder why that is uh maybe i was always supposed to be this age maybe this it might is, just be i've that, reached it well you look despite your um body dysmorphia yeah you look trim you look fit oh good you look healthy really i just i had binged on ice cream and yogurt covered pretzels last night uh-huh but I, I'm not feeling bad about it today. I've decided today I'm not going to feel bad. You're going to let it go. You're going to try to let, you're it, let go. it go. Yeah. Good. So it, you don't have any of that. Oh, I do. What is your? Oh, thing? I, 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 I'm constantly uh, worried that I am borderline obese. Really? So yeah. you have that one, the oh, same yeah. one I have. Yeah, I have the same oh, thing. It's fucking awful. It's good and it's bad. Yeah. Did your wife come out with you? Yes, she's. Uh, She's with the kids and we're... Oh, you're doing that thing? Yeah, because we were supposed to go away for my 40th to mm-hmm. Maine for a few days. And then this... Bar Harbor? Thing, no, I can't remember what it's called. She oh. arranged it. Yeah. Uh, and then this Expedia thing came along and fucked that up. So we came out here instead. You didn't, you're going to bring them to Disneyland or what? No. Nothing? No. They can sit by the they beach? Can, they can sit by the pool and be happy and that's oh. good enough for them. How old are they? Eight and ten. Oh, so that's good. Here's yeah. a pool. There's a thing. Don't There's hurt your brother. Yes. <laughs> Don't hurt your brother. Yeah. Do you say that a lot? Uh, you, do you have two boys or boy and a girl, younger girl? And oh. it, w- it would be that she, it don't would hurt be to her. Sister. No, it would be more. Don't hurt your brother. Oh, really? Yeah, she's 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 more meddlesome than he is. Yeah, are either of them uh, uh, smug? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, that was just a lighthearted one. I'm just gonna. What's a lighthearted joke? It was. It wasn't. It even, was. You know what? It was a delight, and I was, thank you. It wasn't even an attack. No, it wasn't. It was just a. It was just so, a, a, a lighthearted jab. I want to keep going through the the career real quick. So, Wet yeah. Hot American Summer was big, and it's still big. It wasn't big. Can, it was. It was. It was tiny. But and, it has a cult following. Yes, and, over over the years, it created. It found a cult following, and now I I often get credit for having much more to do with that movie than I did. I had almost nothing to do with it. I was just an actor. I showed up. My buddies made it, 
and uh, I'm I'm happy to be associated with it, but I feel like I get undeserved credit for having had something to do with it. I didn't. I just realized when when I became you know actively contemptuous of you guys. Okay, it wasn't uh, not when, really when described. It was like well, you guys came around, but eventually, like especially you, I said like, well, this guy's got you know handle on this. But the Stella thing. For some reason, just it just killed me. But you were you were an active member of Stella. I know, I know. But like, I just couldn't understand how you got so many people to like you. Uh huh. And it like like I could not understand at that time when you guys started doing that. It was one of those weird moments in show business where where you guys started doing the show out of nowhere. The three of you doing this kind of you know Rat Packy thing with the suits and everything else, uh, which I thought was was cute. But like, I just couldn't understand like out of the gate. There was like 500 people in the audience every fucking week. Mm-hmm. And I would go up there and I know that I was uh, you know, full of uh, contempt and weird anger. And he seemed to want that. But I think it was my problem, obviously. But that's sort of where it happened. I just couldn't understand. How do you, facil- how do you manufacture that much uh, success out I, of it? I don't know. To this day, if anybody shows up at anything that I'm doing, I'm amazed. You you have you don't think it was mostly state people or, or most no at that time it, I'm sure it was it, yeah. we, when we started Stella the state was still fresh in everybody's mind we um, had a big sort of New York following and presence we were very sort of social in the New York world right and so Stella which originated as a stage show had a kind of cool New York vibe to it right from the get go um, and so people just came and we had a lot of friends who were you know moderately well-known and so it sort of became a scene right right out of the gate oh that's right so that's see i never understood all that stuff the page six kind of things but the, yeah i mean uh, it wasn't quite that, that. it yeah. wasn't quite that but yeah it was, it was not so dissimilar right you guys was, were hanging around with celebs a little bit sure. i mean not that not that much but enough so that uh but it was organic it wasn't like which celebs can we get oh to hang no because no, david never. wayne and you got you he hangs out with people well he's a star fucker yeah he's a t- <laughs> see that anyway <laughs> So, all right. Well, that. Well, I'm glad we got that out of the way. So then you get this big show. And now, I, yeah. See, your perception of my career and my perception of my career are wildly different. Well, like, sure I don't think of the state as. I mean, I'm proud of the state, but I don't think of it as wildly successful or, or as something that made that it we, established you. Yes, but you called. You said we were like superstars on MTV, which we were not. We were never. Are we, you serious? We were never that. We did well, but 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 we never broke through into the popular consciousness. But you were a popular thing, and people thought they come upon it, and the people that were into it were cool. Yeah, but it was it was no more it was no more successful than like a moderately successful indie rock band. You know, I mean, it was it was like that. It was like that level of success. right. But that's that's what you want, right? Yeah, but I, I but that's not what that's not what we wanted as a group. Yeah, you know, we wanted uh, mainstream success. We wanted to take on SNL. We wanted to we wanted to become. You know, really? The kings. Did you ever get any uh, sort of engagement with the SNL camp? I mean, was no, it, no, no. I don't. I. I you to, never got the pleasure of having Lorne Michaels dismiss you. I think he took pleasure in uh, in never even knowing who we were. I think if if it's such a <laughs> he knew if there's if there's pleasure in ignorance, he took he it. He knew. I don't know. Did you ever meet with him? No. You never went up for SNL. No, I was never invited. I was never asked. I was never. You know, I think I'm pretty sure we were persona non grata in that world. None of you guys ever went up Carrie for that? Kenny did have an audition for SNL uh-huh. because, you know, at, uh, I think they're always looking for funny women. And so she she had a commodity that that the rest of us did not have, which was a vagina. And so she got that opportunity. We did not. I don't know that I wanted that opportunity, um, but I would have I guess I would have 
at least like to have known that they were aware of us and thought we were doing good work. I think like uh, I feel good about what's going on right now between me and you in terms of what? Well, I'm I'm thinking back on it, and uh, I, you know, I deeply uh, uh, envied and resented you for a long time. Right, and now you're seeing it wasn't all wine and roses, Mark. Is that what you're seeing? No, you, it's just the same as it always is. It's like you know, it's a different part of my life, and I just saw you as a guy that kept getting fucking success and kept getting breaks, and that to me was some sort of threat, and I I could just never understand how that you facilitate that. Well, this is this is see to me this is the crux of our relationship you're defining it right now and I agree with it which is I have always sensed from you this deep resentment about uh, the fact that I or my compatriots have these opportunities and 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 you and, and you know you had a lot of opportunities too I mean you've had many things that have that have gone well for you over the years but but not like I never quite figured out how to fit in so I I don't really see that I mean you may see that but like in in terms of really kind of mainstream ish success or casting or anything else not really but right. I'm not sure how much but of that I was haven't my either fault. I haven't either you were on you were on a million shows well whatever most of them most of them because I sort of muscled my way into you know, making them not because the the world is like right, banging well, down my door. Well, no, I appreciate that. You know, and 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 I didn't muscle my way into anything, but uh, uh, but resenting people who muscled their way into right. things. Right, but see the th- the 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 point that I feel like has always irked me is that I got from you throughout mm-hmm. the years, yeah, the sense that not that my success and and I'm using my success and my friend's success, yeah, was undeserved and the reason it was undeserved was ultimately because you didn't think we were funny right and that you and that and that you couldn't understand why anybody would (laughs) that's the part that has always bugged me is it it, the resentment i can take the resentment i'm fine with (laughs) it's 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 the underlying shit of that which was and i don't think these guys are funny (laughs) But, Any of them, and <laughs> so right. I I probably yeah. personalize it more than the other guys. Maybe because I live a little bit more in your world than mm-hmm. those guys do, and that I uh, and because I admired you, yeah, uh, and continue to, yeah. And so that sort of deep knowledge of this guy who I think is really talented thinks I don't know, I, I just thinks I'm not talented. I will give you that. Uh, I'm a, I, I was a dick. And there's no way around it. I don't even know if I was looking. But I don't even, I don't care that you were a dick. I want you to acknowledge that you don't think I'm funny. No, no, I think you are funny. But see, the thing is, is that I can only, like, I couldn't acknowledge almost anyone being funny. I mean, in order for me to really think someone was funny, I can't explain what it is, but I can't be objective. Do they have to be dead? No. Was that Of course not. (laughs) But I I can't be objective about it. Like, my resentment would stifle my ability to even take that in. But I think my sense of it was that because we were doing something different than what you were doing intellectually like on every level kind of different you weren't willing to take the leap and say i'm not doing that but i recognize that there's something to what they're doing that is interesting and compelling to people and then not take the further step of and everybody who likes it are fucking assholes yeah you know, I, I never thought I never thought the audience was assholes. I mean, they'll you know they'll most of them laugh at anything. Like, 
they're just sheep. Yeah, yeah. They don't give I mean, a shit. They're just they're not, they're not nice looking kid. You know, yeah, they'll not, follow him. They'll follow him anyway. They're not they assessing it as deeply as I am. <laughs> right. No, I'm a guy. Like I can go to the. You know, I used to go to. Uh, I'll go to museums. I'll enjoy performance art. I like uh, films that don't make sense. You know, I like art. I'm able to. But that op- does because that's not that doesn't threaten you in any way. That's not you're not competing with that. Right. You know, you can go see Karen Finley, uh, you know. I, I, I'd rather go see, well, maybe someone, uh, who not Karen Finley, but I, yeah, but that kind of thing, I tried to, some of them right. somebody, too. Or, yeah. you, you, can, you can watch the guy with, you know, piercings in his scrotum picking up weights, and that's going to be enjoyable to you, and you can say, oh, I see that that's art on some level, but if, if, if we're running around, you know. Acting uh, like, the, pretending to be the guy who's got weights hanging from his yes. scrotum as a joke? Yes. No, I'd appreciate that more. <laughs> But no, I think what you're saying is right. But I always appreciated the fact that you had talent and could hold the stage, and all you guys could. But I think what you're saying is right. But uh, it's changed. I feel I feel comfortable with you. I don't find that there's. I I, I know we have a, a dynamic that we like to embrace, but sometimes it gets a little. Too and I'm intense. and I'm doing I'm doing like everything I can. To am like I doing not embrace it? it? Maybe I should. And am maybe I, I should. No. Am I am I provoking? Oh you? shit! Yes. I am right now. Not at this, the very moment, but throughout the interview. Yeah. But not as much as I could have. No. I just want some credit for for showing up here. <laughs> uh, and, you, and I'm giving you the credit, and I will. Uh, I don't need any credit. Are you enjoying show? Are you enjoying stand up? Yeah, when I enjoy it, which but, is to say, there are times where it feels like drudgery. But I mean, when you got into it, because it was any of it fueled by, fuck, what am I going to do? Yes. But a lot of it was also what happened was Michael and Michael have issues, which is the last TV show I did. Well, let's talk about that because that was funny. You guys are funny together. I enjoyed that show. Thank you, Mark. And uh, I, I, I didn't uh, resent it, and I thought you were doing something funny. The two of you. Well, there was funny. a show about aggression and passive aggression. Yeah, which is what you should so, be doing all the time. See, that's what I took from you. So I'm like, uh-huh. he does, he's not really embracing as much. He needs uh-huh. to get someone else in there. Right. That would represent that's, me. Right. That spoke to you. Yeah. The Showalter character spoke to you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, so that show got canceled. Toot sweet. Why is that? Because. See, why did they do that? Because, like, I mean, you've got this great show. You brought a lot of great production values to it. It's clearly not going to play to 15-year-olds who, who, you know, it will play to some, you know, who get it. But it, it's not broad, so it's almost like, how did you not, did you think it was going to be doomed from the beginning, or did you have high hopes, or what? We had high hopes. I mean, we always go into things with high hopes, and then we're, and then they're constantly dashed. You know, when we were making Stella, which is the craziest, most absurd show in the world, we all thought, the three of us, me, Michael Showalter, and David Wayne, we thought, finally, we're doing something mainstream that people will embrace. Yeah. When we could not have been more wrong. We were just idiots about that. Um, and the same thing with Michael and Michael. We thought we promised them something. We are delivering it on time, under budget, and yeah. and the quality is excellent. We thought how could and the, and the ratings were fine. How could they not pick it up? And they didn't pick it up. What they tell you was a reason. I don't know that they ever really gave us a reason other than they they and there's somebody very specific who represents they in this uh, conversation did not think it would ever be like a breakout hit. Uh, there were other they's at the network who said we should move forward with this because it's good. Right. And that wasn't enough. Huh. Um, Did you try to shop it around somewhere else? No. No. I mean, you know, it's sort of like... Did you have trouble working with him? No. Oh. No. I mean, we we, we have trouble the way friends who have known each other for 20 years have trouble, which is to say we have, you know, a lot of shit between us, but for the most part, we get along great. What do you mean shit? Well, I mean, we've been friends for 20 years, so... What was the biggest shit? Uh, girls, no, no ideas. 
Michael being annoying? No, I think it's just, you know, ego and and both yeah. of us, both of our egos. Yeah, I can't imagine it. Yeah, you do have, they're different. They're uniquely uh, self-involved egos. The two of you. <laughs> they are uniquely and self-involved. I think you saw that in the We're, show. Yes, and 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 the show is about that. Michael you know? Showalter wants to be a professor. Michael Showalter is a professor. I know that, but it's like he's so clearly that's really what he, you know, he's. he's well, it's in his mitochondria. His parents yeah. are both professors. <laughs> he's done his best, his darndest to sort of move away from it early in his career. Now he's literally a professor. He's teaching screenwriting uh, at NYU. But I think, is he happy? He loves it. Yeah, because like he's like, he just seems like that kind of guy. It's a perfect fit for his particular ego. He loves it, but at the same time, you know, I think he wants. He yeah. wants to continue making movies and TV shows, and and he will, and and hard, does. Hard thing we chose. Uh, a, a terrible, a terrible. <laughs> it's a terrible, terrible profession. Do you feel that now? Um, when did you, when did you begin to feel that? Oh, from from moment one. Really? From the first time I went on an audition when I was like fifteen years old for like Burger King. You were doing that then. Trying to. Did you do any child acting? No. Oh. I went. Mean, I wanted to. Yeah. Uh, but I nobody would hire me. Right. Um, and I, I you know I stayed up. I couldn't sleep the night before because I had this audition for Burger King. Yeah. And I was thinking, I, you know, this is going to change my life. Yeah. I'm going to walk in there. I'm going to be on a Burger King commercial. Yeah. And then my whole life is going to change. And then, <laughs> you know, I lived in New Jersey. It took me probably two hours to get to the audition. In New York? Uh, in New York City. I walked in. Uh, I think they had me sing some sort of jingle okay. for about six seconds. Yeah. They said, thank you. And then that was my introduction to show business. Yeah. Get, get out. out. Get out. And uh, and it's been it's been a, it's been a series of those moments over and over one and form over or another. again for the last twenty something years. But when you thought about them, where, where you really have that? Uh, well, I think that it seems that like you've worked steadily enough and without a, a, enough of an interruption for you to really kind of say, you know, what the fuck am I going to do? Oh, I think that every single day <laughs> of my life. <laughs> How could you not? Did you lose any sleep over the commercial today, or? Uh, I was anxious about the commercial today. Yes, I didn't lose sleep over it. Oh, oh, I'm talking about this commercial right here and now. Uh, Not the commercial that I'm shooting. This commercial. This This, commercial? Well, this is another another walk into Burger King and hope that you don't get your ass kicked, you know. What do you mean? What do you think I'm going to say next? Like essentially, sorry, yeah. Stop it. Essentially. How, how did the shoot for Expedia go? Yeah, we haven't done it yet. It, it happens this week. What are your lines? You want to run them? Uh... I can't remember. It's 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 so sort of straightforward and dry, but there's like sort of funny things happening around them. Something like, uh, you know, when I travel, Expedia, uh, Expedia Rewards Program. I don't fucking know yeah, what it is. That was good. something like that. I think you should it was do natural it. though, right? You should do it like that. <laughs> so just go to this site. Here it is. I don't fucking know point. what this is. But uh, okay, so when you've had those dark moments, what are the other options for you? Uh, this is my life. My life is trying to find okay well what else can i do what else what else can i do in show business in show business yeah well and 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 not i mean i i like like you or like everybody have those fantasies of well, what what would i be doing if i wasn't doing this and i don't have a good answer for that uh political consultant was the closest i ever came to really? thinking of of an answer i don't know that i'd be any good at it but yeah wow yeah. that's interesting um like helping people campaign and that kind uh-huh. of thing yeah, being Iago, basically. Uh-huh. I never wanted to be a fellow, but you'd I would be, like to be Iago. Yeah, you'd be good at that. <laughs> so let's get back to that moment where your stand-up became a, a reality. So Michael and Michael gets canceled, and I'm not anxious to jump back into TV. I've just had my heart broken two times in a row over the last few years it with really Stella. It really does feel that way. Oh, it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of Stella, the TV show, yeah. and of Michael and Michael Live Issues, two radically different things, but both of which I think accomplished exactly what they were setting out to do um, and doing them well. 
that said, you know, like in everything, there's people who hate them, but I, I guess I've come to, to, to expect that. The trolls? Yes. How do you deal with them? Are uh, you okay with I, them? I, you engage sometimes. I do engage um, on Twitter generally. And when I do, gen- usually what I do is if they just write something particularly nasty, I just retweet it. And that seems to purge it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also know that my followers on Twitter will then go attack that person. Uh, and that kind of makes me feel good. Right. Um, so when that ended, I, 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 was, I was having, you know, one of those existential moments of what the fuck am I going to do with my life? And um, not, not even, it wasn't even like a financial thing. It wasn't even like I need to make money. I was right. okay. Mm-hmm. It was more just about what do I want to do? How do, how can I be sort of, what's interesting to me? What can I do that I will feel good about? And around that time, I started a podcast with my friend Tom Cavanaugh. What's that called? It's called Mike and Tom Eat How's Snacks. How's that doing? Uh, I don't know how you measure these things, but I think it's doing well. That's good. Yeah. It's, look, it's no WTF. It's fun though, right? It's really fun. Yeah. And it's, a, and it's an opportunity to be uncensored and, uh, hang out with my friend, basically. And you do it once a week? Yeah. Um, I started that. I started writing a second book. I wrote a book called My Custom Van, which is a collection of essays. And then I wrote the second book, which comes out next year, which is memoir-ish. Um, but totally like different than the first thing. Um, and I decided that if I was ever going to pursue stand-up in a real way, if I was ever going to like give that a shot, that I should do it then, in that moment. And so I decided to, and I hooked up with this amazing agent, um, who basically said, laid out a plan and said, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And at the end of it, you're going to do a comedy central special. And I said, that's, you just say, we're going to do a comedy central special. And he goes, just trust me. Yeah. And so that's what we did. And so this last year and change was about that was about learning how to do stand up or starting to anyway. And you've you, got a built in a bit of a draw. A bit. Yes. Yeah. A bit so that I can show up and it's not going to be embarrassing. Right. Um, there'll be people there. Right. And, and... Never embarrassing? Uh, you need a couple of those. Uh, there, I mean, yeah, there's always a couple of those. Yeah. You know, I tend not to play well in, like, the South. Yeah. Because uh, they just probably don't know you. They No, I don't... I, yeah, they don't know. I don't, it's I don't, not like, I'm not going to see that No, no, no. Guy. I don't think it's... It's not It's not anti-Semitism or anything. Right. Well, no one knows you're Jewish. <laughs> Isn't that why you chose that name? Yes. <laughs> shame. Deep, deep shame. <laughs> It's snappy. Yeah. Black. It's snappy. Yeah. yeah. And no, I like it. It's good. It's three names. I think that probably had a lot to do with my uh, initial opinion of you. The three but, names. Yeah, because it's only, you know, serial killers and assholes have three names. But the but the I didn't want to have the third name. It was yeah. it was because of uh uh after and SAG and equity. You know, all right. the all the actors unions, you can only there can only be one Michael Black. Right. And so I had to either change that mm. or just insert my middle name. I it didn't occur to me that it would sound pretentious. Ian is your actual middle yeah. name. Yeah. It didn't occur to me, you know, that don't do that because people will think you're just a fucking asshole when so, you use three names. So your name is Michael Ian Schwartz? Yeah. Boy, your parents really tried to erase that Schwartz, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where the Ian came from. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. I, yeah, I don't know where that came from. Maybe yeah. uh, maybe someone was a Jethro Tull fan. Uh, to m- the best of my knowledge, no. No, not at to all. the best huh? of my knowledge, no. So, all right, so you've become a real stand-up. I mean, I, you know, and I think that I think you deserve it. I mean, because you were actually doing stand up at Luna when the sort of New York alternative comedy movement was sort of getting its feet. Uh, there was a show called Rebar, which preceded Luna, as you know, right? Which um, I was invited to come to. This is when we were doing the state, and I've always admired stand up. I've always just thought. Like I think most civilians, this is the scariest thing you could possibly do. And I thought the same thing. 
And I was sort of intrigued by that and went to see you and Todd and Louie and all and Jeff Ross and yeah. all these people who are doing it and just said, you know, I have this opportunity. Why not try? But I had no idea how to do it. I don't right. I didn't know how to write a joke. Yeah. Uh, still don't really know how to write a joke and thought, let me try it. So I sort of fooled around with that. That grew into Stella. But none of it was ever stand up. It was never standing on a stage and telling jokes wasn't it though i mean really. didn't you do a thing where uh, i remember didn't you do a thing where you actually brought things up on stage to sell them or something yeah i did one night i i i took things from my house that i didn't want and i th- in new york there's all these guys who sit up on sidewalks these yeah. they used to be yeah and they would just put sh- like bed sheets out and they yeah. would just have random collections of shit it was on the, the weirdest sidewalk. shit it was like a real to real you know like uh dentist equipment right you know and uh, a napkin holder yeah and then a phone machine, and so that's what I did. I yeah. brought, I did that at uh, Luna, yeah. and didn't say anything. Uh-huh. Just brought it out. Had like cassettes, you know, Thompson Twins cassettes that I wasn't going to listen to. See, anymore. I remembered that, and I thought that was funny. Yeah, but it wasn't like jokes. I mean, it was just it was conceptual. But see, the weird thing about you is that the, the same reason that I may have uh, hated you as a person is the reason why you know you were a great uh, stand-up performer is that you were set. In your character. I mean, the, the thing about, the hardest thing about doing stand-up is having that character, or having a character at all other than jokes, and you already had that. I did, but it wasn't necessarily, as I got older and as I progressed and continue to progress, it wasn't necessarily, it isn't necessarily where I want to remain. Uh, I think you can be a smug asshole and have that be fun and funny for a while, and for me it's been X number of years, but at a certain point it becomes uh limiting and so i'm trying to sort of break break through that a little bit and part of that involves trying to learn how to um how to really be myself and expose myself and that's hard to do or talk about your kids talk about my kids talk about my life talk about my feelings yeah which you know uh, for a long time i denied even having see i felt that see i can't help but have mine maybe that's another thing how do i connect with this guy i'm gonna try and reframe this whole thing as your fault (laughs) <laughs> it started as my fault and I was willing to own it from the get-go <laughs> I need to do it for me Mike I understand <laughs> I totally get it I I didn't uh yeah I I it's 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 so that's been a real process for me learning uh, you know it's it's gonna sound so pretentious to say but learning how to be myself and learning how to be myself on stage has uh also been a challenge are you finding success in it yes um are you finding people are surprised buy it because you seem like there are certain guys i know from talking to them and hearing from knowing them that there's some people just and i don't think it's a bad thing you know keep their shit to themselves i'm gonna stand is that all right are you really yeah. why are you getting tired no not getting tired but i just feel antsy okay stand. all right you can turn it up yeah this is a first so you're gonna stand Thought it might be do you want <laughs> i want to lord over you okay are you gonna I look you, down on you what are you opening with uh, I'm not gonna. St- I'm not. Th- see, in my head, that's not. As Ladies and gentlemen, Michael. No, come on. Just my legs are antsy, and I'm feeling anxious, and I thought, let me stand. You gotta have an opening. What's your opening joke that you fucking your? The bang- one that you- I don't see. The, the, I, I don't have one. I mean, uh, the the one that I opened my last my last my first special yeah. with was I'm Michael Ian Black. You may know me from such shows as Cancelled. Yeah. You know, okay. <laughs> things <yeah>. like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But yeah, you, know, you you don't open with that consistently. You don't have a consistent opener. No. All right, so now you're up, you're standing, the juice is flowing. Now, okay, so, but what I was saying is some people keep their private life private. And was that a kind of person you were? Was that a choice? Yeah, oh, I still, I still do. I mean, there, there's a line I won't cross. I mean, I, 
I'm interested in myth and I'm interested in the myth of the performer. I'm interested in sort of creating a persona and my persona is moving closer to who I actually am, but I'm not going to hopefully uh, hurt the people that I love in terms of exposing them. It might happen though, right? It may, and 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 I, but not not on purpose. I'm I'm the book that I just wrote. A lot of it is about my marriage and the essays. Yeah, and uh, my wife Martha, you know, was very and understandably so nervous about that. She didn't she didn't want me writing about her. You know, it's everyone not around fair. everyone around you gets nervous when you're writing a book. Of course, of course. You you must be writing one. Yeah, I am. Uh, it's 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 not moving as quickly as I'd like. They never do. Like, did you like really? So, you, have you been in the situation where you're like, I've got four fucking months. Oh, my book is a year plus overdue. Oh, that makes me so much happier. Yeah, but I had to. But I had to. Oh yeah, it should. It should make you feel great. <laughs> it does make me feel. Wait, I want to get back to this because this sounded intelligent to me. Um, the idea of myth. What so, does that mean to you? So, when I was growing up, when I first became aware of comedy was SNL. Right. And very early on, for whatever reason, because I wasn't really old enough to watch, but I became aware of John Belushi and I became aware of this thing that they were doing on that show with him where they would talk about him. They would talk about John Belushi. Right. And I'm putting that in quotes on air. Right. And the kind of person that John Belushi was and the things that John Belushi did. Right. And... I was aware that the person that they were talking about could not possibly be entirely the same person that he is off stage, off air. That there is there is a disconnect between the real John Belushi and the and the performer John Belushi. And I was but I also knew that there was a tremendous amount of overlap. I knew that the real John Belushi probably was doing drugs and and probably was kind of fucking up his life, but to what extent I didn't know. And I was very interested in what that line was, where where those two things blurred. And I've taken that with me my whole career. And I've always thought of that as as the kind of mythology of performers. When the state started going, I wrote these pieces called uh, Hi, I'm Michael Ian Black. Yeah. Which were kind of like what you were talking about, the smug asshole talking about how great it was to be on MTV and how you know much pussy I was getting and blah, 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 blah. And it was about that. It was about it was about um, that kind of mythology, right. and very consciously so. The group didn't want me to use my real name. They didn't. They it, it, for whatever reasons. So we changed it to I am uh, I'm an on air personality, and so my character became on air personality. And I did a bunch of them. I did maybe half a dozen. And then those tran- those turned into high were the state pieces where we would all sort of get up and we would all talk about our lives. But the lives would be very much in quotation marks, except that you could tell there was an element of truth to all of it. And how much of it was true and how much of it was false. To me, that was always really interesting. And so I bring that to my stand-up now. And so there's, a, there's that line that I won't cross. And the line's always moving about what's true and what isn't. And what's interesting about stand-up, as I'm sure you know, is you can tell the absolute truth about something, the most painful, uh, awkward, bitter truth that you have, and people will think you're kidding. People will think you're making shit up. And you're and all you're doing is standing on a stage telling the truth. And over the but last... You're, t- you're, t- you're telling the truth in a context with a, with a beat structure. So, yeah. So, like, that, they think that that insulates it. Yeah, I mean, part of your job is to temper that truth so they don't feel 
they feel like you're in control somehow. Yes, I do think that's true. Yeah. But the but the but but the sort of under the foundation of it. Yeah. Will be truthful. Right. Will be you essentially telling the truth, getting on a stage and telling the truth. Now, as I've moved forward in my stand-up, I'm moving, I think, more towards what you do, which is essentially that figuring out ways to tell the truth. Um, it's interesting though, because like, I think what you're saying is, is true. And I was just writing something before you came over here today, trying to figure out, you know, what it was when I was a kid, like you're talking about Belushi, but there's this weird thing when you see someone on a television and they're being a certain way, you, the party that you don't necessarily think you don't even want to imagine that they have a real life. You don't, it's weird. Like, and now as a comic, I know like, well, John Belushi was probably spending a lot of time sleeping, spending a lot of time making people worried about him. Mm -hmm. And a lot of time, you know, just out there fucking drinking and boozing. Like he didn't really, whatever his life was, it was a train wreck. And we know that now. Uh, but you want that as well. So, so you want the myth to, to hold true, Yeah. but yet you, you need it to be a myth in order to protect yourself and your loved ones. And as, a, as an audience, you need to believe it's a myth because to believe otherwise would be scary. And I guess the guys that end up in the big picture, more authentic is the ones where people go, holy fuck, he was really like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't need that. I mean, I don't need. No, I don't need no to scare to... people. I don't need to. I don't need. I don't need to be a myth in that way. It sounds to me what you're trying to do is find a way to be comfortable with telling the truth as the character that you are. Yes, and all, but also redefining the character to be right. more in line with who I actually am. Growing it up a little bit, and you know, so to to that end, like for example, coming in here today, my agenda was not to be, you know, necessarily funny or to make a lot of jokes or to whatever, but just to try to do this, just to try to be honest and 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 tell the truth because it's hard for me. It's hard for me to do that. It's hard for me to sort of let that go and just trust that just being and being honest is compelling enough. Um, What's the hardest thing on stage that in terms of, that's all right. Sorry, ha I thought it was off. Happens, that happens all the time. Is that your wife? No, it's Hollywood, California calling. Oh, good. They just... They're going to change the copy on the Expedia commercial. <laughs> no, what, I'm sure whatever this call is is going to change my life like that Burger King commercial. It always does. So many years ago. Yeah, yeah they brought in somebody else. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> they flew in a, a lesser known person to do the Expedia commercial. That's fine. So what is the biggest challenge for you? What What are your biggest fears on stage in revealing this truth? What Which, which bits or what topics have you said, how the fuck do I do that? It hasn't been anything specifically topic-oriented. It's been more about how do I take my life, my actual life, and make that compelling to me and make that compelling to an audience. Because as I think everybody who lives with themselves doesn't feel like they're doing anything extraordinary or worth communicating particularly. Um, but, it, but it is that stuff, that kind of banal day-to-day -day stuff that actually is the most interesting if you can just sort of unearth it and mine it and, and, and look at it in a slightly different light. Right. Um, Berbiglia said something on, once on an interview that I, I heard him on, which I thought was really true, which he, he said, audiences really just want to hear their lives reflected back at them hmm. and nothing much more than that. And I thought that was really sort of profound and true that the things that often seem to me to be just sort of kind of like run of the mill and unextraordinary are the things that people really respond to. Well, I think it, it, it along with that, because I don't, I don't necessarily honor that code because I don't know 
how many people really live like me, but I think that there are people that think like me. But I think when you mine that particular area, it's how do you make them see it differently, mm-hmm. something that is familiar to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I and obviously like this is like comedy 101. Is it? Yeah. Ex- except that I never had that, you know? Like the state existed in a totally insular way. We none of us came from comedy, none of us knew anything about comedy. We're all we all taught each other whatever we knew. So we kind of stumbled on sort of comedic lessons and truths almost by accident and had to sort of like teach each other how to do things, how to write a punchline, how to write, you know, uh, right. just a, a, a decent premise. We never had mentors. We never, we never, we didn't know any other comedians. There were no opportunities for us to perform outside of the performances that we were doing ourselves. Right. But you watch TV. We watch TV. So yeah, we had an instinct for it the way anybody has an but instinct I don't think, for I don't, it. I don't, I don't know many people that, that really, you know, look at it as a, well, I guess I know a few, but I think that you're obviously naturally funny and the, and the tone that you found worked for you was the tone that you used. (laughs) Yes. But, um, but it was more than that for, for, for all of us, it was more than that because for us, comedy became a very deep intellectual exercise. Yeah. You guys are all smarties. I don't know about that, but I think we, we were very, passionate about it and and we wanted to understand it and we wanted to like have a sense of craft and i think when you're coming up through maybe the club system and you're hanging out with other comics and you're seeing them do their routines night after night and you're seeing how they're changing things and how they're working there's a sense of a peer community that you can bounce things off of and that you can learn from and then you're hanging out uh shooting the shit after shows we didn't really have that we only had ourselves and so there was, it was very hard to measure our own success. And we performed very infrequently. We only performed two or three times a year. Um, so there was no way to gauge what we were doing. And so I think the way we dealt with that was to sort of over-intellectualize everything that we were doing. Right, but you also were there for each other. You know, being yeah. in a band and, and being a singer-songwriter is two different things. So how was the transition from, you know, like knowing that David or Michael were going to catch it if they could... Uh, like if you left something dangling or something wasn't, you know, there's an right. organic thing that happens, and then all of a sudden it's just you. You mm. seem, but you seem more cut out for it than that. I don't know. Things. My ego insists that I do things by myself. Yeah. To a certain extent, yeah. my ego insists that I get on a stage by myself and own that hour for whatever that is, good or for bad. It's yeah. just me. Yeah. And if if it goes great then I get all the credit. And if it goes shitty, then I will happily take all the blame. But that I need to have that. Not exclusively. I still work with those other guys. Showalter and I are writing a script together, for example. Yeah. Um, But part of me needs to fly sort of solo in in certain respects. See that? You're cut out for it. I don't know. So outside of the script with Showalter, what are you working on? Outside of the Expedia commercial? Uh, This book that I I just wrote. I'm writing another book with Megan McCain. uh, You shooting any TV? Huh? Any television? Um, no, no. no. Uh, I'm, I'm, I haven't been pursuing television at all because, because, because of the frustrations. I did a pilot this year for E that went nowhere, um, and it was, you know, it's just the, the rigmarole and the bureaucracy and the lack of trust inherent in it. It just really has started to to grate on me. Yeah, you can't. It's like it, you know, I don't know when it happened, but I finally just stopped giving a shit on some level. I can't hang my hopes on that because even when you tell the Comedy Central story, it's like, so even it becomes vague on why mm-hmm. 
it happens and it's got nothing to do with anything but a couple of people going, I don't know. Yeah. It's it's guys in marketing going, yeah, yeah no, no, no. Okay. I don't know where we're going to slot this. Yeah, I don't know how we're going to make a poster. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, it's not that I've given up on television. It's that I'm just not pursuing it with the with the urgency that I might have Is there before. a relief in that? Yeah, huge relief. A huge relief in feeling like I'll be okay without that. Well, thank God. Because uh, you got a, a lovely family. I you do. You seem well adjusted. I'm fine. You are? Are we good? <laughs> I don't know, Mark. Come on. Why do you keep doing that? Every time we get together, <laughs> I walk away feeling like we're good now, finally. And then you do that. How come we- Maybe because I'm holding on to something that I can't let go. Well, what? I just, I don't know. I'm you don't like, trust me. I know I, what it is. You just don't trust me. You know what it is? And you more than many other people, maybe all other, no, ma- many other, I won't say all other people. I want your respect and I feel you, like but, I got to earn it. But we, but you have it. I mean, Jesus Christ, we were just in Aspen and I thought after we talked and we had a good time on stage and we, we were, we got laughs doing that bullshit that we always do. And then we sat down in the lodge and I talked with you and your wife. We had a lovely thing and I'm like, great, finally. And then you come back in here, then you're nervous and then it, it goes pretty well. And then at the end of all this, I still, I say, are we good? And you're like, I don't know. What does that mean? I think... When you die, I'll feel good. (laughs) (laughs) So that's on you. That's on you. So now I want everyone to know that it's now in Michael's court. He is holding on to to this fight. I think what he tried to say there was a nice thing, but he far transcended any (laughs) passive aggression, any attack. When you're dead, I will feel good because he'll have closure and he won't have to worry about it anymore. I need the closure. Yeah, you definitely have a hell of an ego. (laughs) Well, it's good talking to you. You too, Mark. That's it. That's our show. Could you feel it? Could you feel the, 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 the love, the, the weird repelling and attracting tension that me and Michael Ian Black have had for years? I, I do love talking to him, and I do, uh, do love engaging with the guy. I hope he has a Merry Christmas. I hope you have a Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Uh, happy all the other holidays, uh, whatever it is that you're celebrating. If you're not celebrating anything, you know, have a nice uh, sandwich or something. Again, don't pour freezing cold vodka on your aching heart. If that That's a Christmas message. Also, go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. Of course, we've got the POW! Whoa, I shit my pants Christmas style. JustCoffee.coop available. If you get the WTF blend, I get a little few shekels on the back end of that. You can donate to the show. You can buy the new merch. You can get the apps for iPhone, iPod, iPad. I your computer the droid app is available at Amazon oh my god it goes on and on wise guys in Utah January 13th and 14th live WTF in Boston January 27th me doing stand up in Boston January 27th the Wilbur Theater oh god what the fuck am I gonna get her god damn it god damn it Merry Christmas